I'm going to share a few things, um, and you'll see at the end of the service where I'm heading. But I told you during Christmas I was going to do a few things for the first of the year to kick off something to help you in your life. And that is we're going to talk about mastering some key areas in the Christian life to help you serve better. Now, thankfully, we have uh, online access, and we have different ways that people can join in. But since we're small in number here this morning, we have less than 100 probably, and that's not a bad thing. We're thankful for you. By the way, did you know that you came on one of the seven least attended Sundays of the year? I did a little bit of research. Pastors know this, but uh, I have three articles up here I want to share. But one of them had the seven most, uh, I'm sorry, nine of the least attended periods in, in the church calendar. Guess what they are? Spring break was number one. Number two, holiday weekends. Number three, bad weather, which we're probably going to get tonight. Number four, good weather. Why? Because people want to play golf and fish. Number five, sports, because now travel teams and most college football and NFL games are played on the weekend, so people travel to see them. Sixth, summer is the lowest attended period because of people being on vacation and doing different things. Seven, the time change, whether you spring forward or fall back. This one is not hard to believe, but sometimes it does happen. When the pastor announces he's going on vacation and there will be a guest speaker. Now, fortunately, we have two pastors, and some people like to hear Brian better than me. So sometimes he gets more people who come. So it's a wonderful thing to be able to trade off. And then Christmas to New Year is usually a lull in the attendance season. But nevertheless, you made it this morning, and we're thankful for that. So when we think about church life, let me get back. My slides are all messed up. Let me just share a text with you, and then we're going to ask and answer some questions. Okay, are you ready to interact with me this morning? Are y'all awake? I mean, y'all, we saw Christian, and I, I thought Christian was going to get on it this morning, but, you know, he, he kind of made us contemplate, didn't he? And it was interesting because everything that he sang went right along with the message. It wasn't about feeling the flesh this morning. It was about thinking about the reflection of what God has done for us. Listen to what the writer to the Hebrews wrote about the importance of church attendance. This is what he says. Let us consider, let us think about, let us contemplate how we may spur one another on toward Love and good deeds. Now, do you all, you all know anything about spurring someone on? How many of y'all have ever rode a horse? How many of y'all have ever put on a pair of spurs? What, what is a spur? What's it for? To rattle when you walk? It, it's to make the horse uncomfortable when you gouge him. Mm, right under the ribs. You, know. you take your heel and you... And he says, oh, what are you going to do? Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward what? Meanness and aggravation? No. Toward love and good deeds. Now, stop for a minute because I want to ask you this question. Do you ever stop and say, you know, when I come to church on Sunday morning, God wants me to be there for two reasons. One is to worship Him, and the second is to help somebody else who's sitting across the pew. It's it's really not a me time. You know, sometimes we get this concept about church attendance that we go to church because it's got to be entertaining to me. I have to like it, and if I don't walk away blessed, then I'm not going back. Let Let me just say this, and, you know, I say it in all love. That is consumer mentality. That is Burger King Burger Kingology, have it your way. And, you know, there are a lot of churches where people can have it their way. But listen to what the New Testament says about church. Let us consider when we go how we may spur one another to do love God and love others and to do something with our life that's meaningful. That is, to do good deeds for God. Now he says, let us not give up meeting together 
COVID or no COVID. By the way, they were going through COVID back in 69 AD. Did you know that? Right about the time this was written, people were forsaking the tabernacle. They were, they were going to be persecuted and they had left Christianity and they were going to run back to the Jewish system. And they thought, we'll flee back to what we know is familiar and we'll just leave it all. And the writer says, don't do that. Stop doing that. You are supposed to assemble together in the New Testament church that was founded as in the person of Christ. Don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Notice that phrase carefully. What is church attendance? It is a... Go ahead and say it. Say it loud. It's a habit. What is a habit? It's something you do because you want to. You know, it reminds me of the old lady. She was an older lady that lived in an apartment. And there was this young man who would always meet her when she would carry her groceries in. He'd come down the steps and open the door for her. Say, here you go. Give me your grocery bags and carry them up the steps for her. She'd say, why are you doing this? He'd go back down. Anything else you need, ma'am? Finally, after this went on weeks and weeks, she said, stop, young man, before you grab my grocery bag. I have to know, why are you doing this? He said, well, ma'am, I had a drug problem. She said, what, a drug problem? He said, yes, ma'am. She said, I just find that hard to believe. He said, well, don't. My mother drugged me to church on Wednesday. She drugged me to church on Sunday, and she drugged me to church on Sunday night. It made a difference in his life. He had a good drug problem. Let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us do what? Encourage one another. That, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm doing this morning. I'm not here to discourage, to uh, make you feel bad. I'm here to encourage you because this is what God's Word wants us to do. We are to get together. We are to see each other's faces. We are to get to know one another so that we can share our burdens with one another, we can share our life with one another, we can be concerned for one another, we can help one another, we can spur one another not to waste our life. Now, I'm going to get to some practical things at the end here, but there are some real things that we should be doing with each other and encouraging one another to do and not to do that help us in our Christian life. So, let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. What is the day? Well, the translators to the NIV and the ESV and different translations capitalize that word. And I'm going to talk about that here in a minute. Some believe that is the coming of Jesus. And they would say that as we see his coming drawing near... We as his people should be doing something. And what is that? We should be encouraging one another saying, you know what? There is, may not be a lot of time left. So don't waste your life by neglecting living for the Lord and serving Jesus. Don't waste it on yourself. Serve him. Because he's coming again. And when he does, we'll never be ashamed when we serve him. Now, as we think about this passage and we think about mastering church attendance... What are some reasons that we should come to church? I think I, I put this up here. Why is corporate worship and church attendance important for a believer in Jesus? Okay, let's answer that question first. So I know nobody likes to talk on Sunday morning, but I, I won't ever say you have a wrong answer because we're not in a classroom. But let's say that one of your neighbors comes up to you and says, why do you get up on Sunday morning at 830 and 9 o'clock, and get ready and leave and go to church. Why do you do that? Why do you, what would you tell them? Okay, we want to see one another. Fulfillment. To worship God. To be encouraged. To encourage others. To learn God's Word. To give him praise. Okay. To obey what he said. Did, did, he, did he say to come to church? Okay. Go ahead, Helen. 
to examine ourselves. Very good. Ouch, that one hurt, didn't it? What else? To get something we need. To hear God's word. Love. What else? To be in community with one another. Fellowship. Anything else? Well, I think if your neighbor asked you that and everybody in the church was together, I think you would give them a pretty good answer. But now, now wait and think with me for just one minute. Can you imagine if you had to answer that question by yourself? Could you imagine this morning if somebody asked you that question and you had to answer it by yourself without the help of everybody here who just chimed in? Could you do it? Now, there may be some in the room that could do that, and we would hope so. But more than likely, a majority of us would, would struggle with giving a complete answer of why church attendance is important. But together this morning, you all gave a great answer. So I'll just pray and we'll go home, okay? All right. No, I'm just joking. Now, let's answer this question. How, how do you feel, and I know everybody's tired of hearing about it, but how do you think COVID has played in to church attendance? Now, let me just say, and I've got three articles here. I'm not going to go into sitting here reading an article to you. But I want to give you something that was read. It was actually spoken on a podcast. Uh, it was for, like, ministry leaders, but it was the 30-30-30-10 principle. That made 100%, by the way. And I did pass math. What, what was the principle? When COVID hit the church, this is the numbers across the board that happened. 30% of the people stayed, and they were faithful, 30%. 30% of people began to shop around to different churches to find something else that would, they, that would attract and fulfill their need better. So 30% left and went to another church. The other 30% never returned to corporate public worship. They stay at home. Sometimes they watch the service online. Sometimes they will watch David Jeremiah or they'll watch Charles Stanley or a TV preacher. And by the way, if you want a better sermon, you probably should watch Charles Stanley or David Jeremiah and stay home for, for several reasons. Number one, they have a full production, multi-million dollar media team. It's going to be professional. The music's going to be professional. The preaching's going to be professional. And all of the audio-visual is going to be professional. And so, if, they're, if that's the primary purpose, then you're much better off tuning in to something like that than you are a local church website because they just do it better than we do it. However, let me say this and be very clear, however, you cannot have the connection with a TV preacher or a TV ministry that you will have in a local body. You can't get it. So let me say this real quick. When you get diagnosed with cancer, David Jeremiah is not going to visit you. When you get sick in your bed and you can't get out with COVID, Charles Stanley is not going to come and bring you a meal. I will promise you that. If your house gets flooded and somebody has to come and help you get your house cleaned out, it won't be the TV preacher. As wonderful as they are and as great as God can use their ministry. Now, we never say don't listen. As a matter of fact, if you struggle with things in your life, I would encourage you to go to intouch.org, Charles Stanley's, and type in what you struggle with. Is it loneliness? Is it fear? Is it this? Is it that? And Charles Stanley has probably addressed it because he is a wonderful teacher. David Jeremiah has wonderful series. You should probably listen to them every day. You should read their daily devotionals. You should do that. And many other preachers that do that. But what I'm saying is there is more value in a local body of believers who meet the needs of one another than there is in watching a professional network. Now, 
It is true that you can go online, you can take Bible study courses, you can do this and that. All that's wonderful. There's, the knowledge is unreal. But there's something great that's missing. And that is the one-to-one or the community together meeting the needs of each other and helping one another. Now, after this message, you should take away several practical things. Number one, Sharon Farrell's email and phone should blow up this week with people calling and texting her, telling her they are praying for her during her cancer treatments. Jim Huff's phone and email should be full this week, telling him that we're praying for him as his wife, Pat, is probably in her final days. Rosetta White, who is at home and is a widow, we should be telling Rosetta we're thankful for her. Jim Edmondson is sitting at home this morning. He's, he's blind. He's probably watching us. He's, he's losing his sight. He can't see. But one of Dolores' last words to me were this, I love people. I want to hear from people. I'm telling you, we should be calling Dolores, loving on her, being thankful for her. Madeline Polly just lost Bob. Their, their in, engagement was on Christmas Eve. How many of us told her we were thinking about her that day and told her we cared about her? You know, let us encourage one another how we might spur one another on to do good works and to be faithful. Because let me promise you something, folks. I, I mean, I'm not here to impress with a sermon outline this morning. I'm here to help us in our life. Let me, let me encourage you with this, that those deeds that you do in your life to help meet the needs of someone else will mean more in eternity than any college game or pro game that we watch or anything we do to entertain ourselves. And you know, if we're going to do that, we have to be intentional. Intentional means on purpose for a purpose. We get a piece of paper out right now while I'm preaching and say... Lord, bring to my mind things you want me to do this week to encourage someone. I've already given you six things. Six. And I'm sure as I talk, many of you are going, you know, I've got a neighbor down the road I haven't seen. I need to tell them. Here is something I could do for somebody. There's coming a winter storm tonight. You know, snowmageddon. We might get two inches of snow and be bound in for weeks and weeks. But truthfully, we might need to get somebody some groceries or we might need to check on them or just tell them that, hey, something comes up, you let us know, we're here to help you. I'm your neighbor. And they'll say, you know what, That's a, that person's a Christian. <laughs> They're a Christian and, and that's why they care about me. Because God cares about There's something different about them. And I'm going to find out what it is. And then you might get to share how Jesus changed your heart and life. So, how has COVID changed church? Well, it's changed it tremendously. As a matter of fact, Tom Rayner wrote a little article. Uh, you know, he was the Lifeway guy. He wrote a little article on why people need to get back to church. And I thought it was very interesting. He's, he gives several reasons. Number one, because the Bible commands that we worship together. Number two, the Bible emphasizes the importance of a local church. Number three, when we gather together, we encourage each other. Number four, when we gather together, it encourages the pastors. You know, you hear Brian say all the time, you don't know how encouraged we are to see you all. Let me tell you something, we are. Because I stood here for weeks and weeks and weeks and preached to the Pew family. You know who it was? Uh, it was Sean's not here this morning, so I can tell this one on him. Sean would be back in the back cracking up laughing at something. I was up here preaching to the camera, talking to you. I'd be like, Sean, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, sorry. He had to hear it like three times. But it's encouraging to see people's faces. And it's encouraging to see people serve. And by the way, Sean's not here, and probably, he's probably not watching us this morning. But when you all see Sean Caudale, he's kind of quiet. Thank Sean. He's here every Sunday running sound and media, dealing with difficulties and problems. And now Brian's filling in for him in the back, and Wes is back there hiding behind the bushes. I mean, God's brought us all kinds of new people that, that serve and help us be thankful for them. I mean, it's a, it's a very difficult job because everything goes wrong at 1028 on the 30th second. And so we are appreciative. 
Rainer goes on to say, finally, that we grow spiritually when we commit to faithful attendance. There are statistics about the, the, the life of a person who attends services once a month versus twice a month versus four times a month. And when they evaluate the lives of people who were faithful to attend worship services, their spiritual life was much more enriched than a person who didn't but once or twice a month. It is important to hear God's Word. It's important to interact with each other. And it's important to hear God's text read to our life and explained to us. Now, I'm going to share, and this is a short message, three advantages. What are some advantages of attending a service? What are advantages of people who faithfully attend? Three of them from the book of Hebrews in chapter 10. And I want you to turn there with me. And I'm going to start reading in verse 23 and following. But the first advantage when you faithfully attend is it gives you confidence when you approach God. Now, let me stop. I should read the text. Let me just read it first. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great high priest who's over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. The first advantage is we can enter God's presence in full assurance, full confidence. Why can you do that? How does, how does attending a public worship service help you actually give confidence when you approach God. By the way, how do you approach Him this morning? You approach Him in prayer, in worship. Are you sure when you pray and when you worship, He hears and sees you? Are you? Are you sure? How do you know that? Because He's with us, but what's some other reasons? Because He's given an Old Testament analogy here. You all have to pretend that you're Hebrews for a minute and pretend that you only could have your sins atoned for one time a year. And that was on the day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. One time a year, a high priest would go and slaughter one animal for himself so that he could enter, one for the community, and everyone's intentional sins would be forgiven. There were no offerings in the Old Testament for intentional sin. I'm going to disobey my parents. I'm going to skip church this morning. I'm going to cuss. I'm going to do things that dishonor God. There was no sacrifice for it. None. You couldn't give money. You couldn't give an animal. What did you have to do? Can you believe this, by the way? We don't understand how good we have it as believers, do we? You know, when we mess up and do something really dumb as a believer... We know that we can stop and we can pray. We can tell the Lord we know we did wrong. We shouldn't have done that. We ask Him for forgiveness and cleansing. But in the Old Testament, they could not do that. There were thanks offerings. There were other offerings, peace offerings and so forth. But if they intentionally sinned, they had to wait for the Day of Atonement. When the high priest, one time of the year, killed one animal for himself... And then he would kill one for the Jewish community and any of the outsiders who came. And he would go into the second room in the tabernacle. There were two rooms, a holy place and then the most holy place, separated by this huge thick curtain of animal hides called the veil. And once a year, he was permitted to walk into the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was. It had three items in it. What were they? Y'all know what they were? This is, not a, this is not a quiz. The Ten Commandments. Aaron's rod that budded, and it kept the buds on it, by the way. Miraculous, supernatural. And as my boys said, the third was the jar of awesomeness, or the jar of manna, 
that was preserved all the way from the wilderness wandering. Those three, three elements were kept in that Ark of the Covenant to prove God's law and His grace, His faithfulness and His provision. And that Ark of the Covenant would sit there, and on top of it was a seat, a, a, a plate called the mercy seat, and there were two angels, cherubim, who were guarding that Ark of the Covenant, which was a picture of the presence of God. If you walked inside that most holy place and you looked around in that tabernacle, you would see stars and pomegranates. It was a picture of third heaven where God the Father's at. This is what God showed Moses when he was in the desert. You're to make this replica just like the one in heaven. So God has a temple in heaven and Moses replicated that. And there's the ark. And if you read the Psalms, God's, that was God's footstool. He was enthroned above the ark of the covenant. And he was there and he was to be worshipped. The high priest would go in once a year for all of the intentional sins of the people. And he would take the blood of that animal and go in and throw it at the feet of God. Because God was looking down at the broken law at the unfaithfulness of the people, and at their rebellion against his will and his leadership. And when that blood would cover that mercy seat, if the high priest walked out of there, God would forgive the people for one more year of unintentional, or I'm sorry, of intentional sins. Now, if you don't understand that, you'll never understand what I just read. Because what the author said is, you know, people didn't have confidence before that, that now they could just go directly into God's presence. They had to wait for that one time of the year. But now, see, we're going to read it again. But now, brothers, since we have confidence because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and by the way, what happened when he died on the cross and was buried and rose again? What happened in the temple? The veil was what? Torn in two from, from what? Top to bottom. What is the significance of top to bottom? From heaven down. Wasn't from the ground up. Heaven down. God ripped the temple, tore the veil apart. Now there is direct access right straight into the throne room of God. And when we pray because of what Jesus has done for us, we have direct access to Him. Did you know that? Did you all know that? If you didn't, you learned something this morning. And that's another advantage for coming to church. This gives you confidence when you pray. You go right into the throne room of God because of what Jesus has done for us. So therefore, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, I mean, the place you would have been stoned to death years ago if you would have even touched the curtain. And as a Gentile, we might have one Jewish person here, as a Gentile, you couldn't even go in the court. The Jewish people wouldn't even let you in the court. You were forbidden from the presence of God. This will make Ephesians 2 come alive. Huh. What did Paul say? The wall of hostility has been broken down which divided Jew and Gentile because of the one person of Jesus Christ. We worship Him. Same Lord, same God, one God, one faith, one spirit, one salvation for the Gentiles. Praise God. We have confidence as we enter by the blood of Jesus. He's the one who put the blood on the mercy seat. And He is the new and living way. The animal that was, had its blood poured on there had died. Jesus poured His blood and He did what? He rose again. He is the new and living way that for us opened the way through the curtain. This is that big veil. But now he's going to say, you know what the real curtain is between man and God? It's his flesh. Don't think about that tabernacle now. We have direct access through his flesh, what he did for us. And you know what he did when he went up? He became our great high priest. What did a priest, high priest do for people? Interceded for them. Prayed for them. He did... I had access to God for people. He is our, now our great high priest. When we go in and pray, and we know Christ is our Savior, we have direct access to God the Father because of Him. And 
God's Word says that He prays for us. You ever thought about that? People say, well, I don't know if God hears my prayer. Does He hear Jesus? If He hears Jesus, He hears your prayers. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, since we have let us draw near with full confidence, draw near with a sincere heart, in full assurance of our faith. Full assurance. No doubting, no wavering. And then he pictures the idea of the sacrifice that we are to be. Having our hearts sprinkled. Can't you see the old Testament priest in there? Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. You all have a guilty conscience this morning. You have a guilty conscience? Some, some do. We've sinned, we've fallen away, and we feel dirty. Boy, you can be clean this morning. You can be clean because of the blood of Jesus Christ and what He did for us. Draw near, cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water, prepared to offer to God. This is, he's given an Old Testament analogy here. So what's the first advantage to coming? Well, you hear messages like this from God's Word that tells you that you can have full confidence when you go into God's presence when we pray. There's a second advantage to faithfully attending, and that is that it strengthens the certainty of our hope. Strengthens the certainty of our hope. Now, this is a good time to give this illustration. What is Christian hope? And if you don't know what this is, you should write it down in your Bible because this is a good place to do it. Let me describe American hope. You ready? I hope my wife buys a new Chevrolet Duramax for me for Christmas. Oh, I hope she does. I hope. I've dropped hints. Karen, don't do that. I've dropped hints. You know, I'm, I'm giving an illustration here because I'm not going in debt for that craziness. I've dropped hints, I, you know, I've said this, oh, I hope I have a key under the tree. That is American hope. Uh, I hope, I hope my bank account's going to be so big by the time I retire that I don't have to hit a lick at a snake. I hope, all of those things are uncertain. You don't know that they're going to happen. You're wishing and and you're wishing and longing for them to happen because it's something you want. Now, biblical hope, the word hope there means this. Desire with expectancy. Longing, desire with expectancy. Let me explain that. Longing, desire is something God has promised in His Word. So our hope is not grounded on a selfish wish. Our hope is grounded in God's revelation from Himself. We read God's revelation from Himself to us and it spurns our hearts to want what He's promised. And when He tells us this is our hope, we have read it, now we long for it. You know, the Apostle John says that there is a reward, and Paul says it too, for all those who love His appearing. Do you long for Jesus' appearing? There, there is a reward for that. We will be rewarded for that. Now, John tells us, stop living in sin so that when He comes, we don't have to shrink back from Him, but we should long for His appearing. Well, if we have a desire rooted in God's Word... We also have this expectancy, waiting on it to happen. So, what does attending faithfully do? Allows us to hear God's Word, allows us to see other people who are here as well, who have this same hope and this same desire. You probably don't find it at work. You probably don't find it at the mall. You definitely don't find it at Walmart. I tried to go in there and buy a Christmas present right before Christmas and liked it got run over. One thing left in the aisle between one older lady and one younger man, they like to attack me to get the last thing off the shelf. I, I backed up and said, y'all can have it. T take it. Take it. I should have ordered it online anyway. 
There's no hope, love, encouragement. But when we come together as a church, we strengthen the certainty of our hope. Now, listen to God's Word. Let us hold unswervingly the hope that we profess. Let me, let me read it my way. You grab on with both fingers and don't waver from it no matter what you hear, read, see, think, or even doubt. Our desire that we have seen in God's Word and we long for with full expectancy. You know why? Here's why. Because He who promised is faithful. Now folks, let me share this with you. God is faithful. When He says He's going to do something in His Word, you take your, your finger. Don't worry about CNN, Fox, any website, any man's opinion, any professor in college. I don't care. When God says He's going to do something, He puts a period after it. Don't put a question mark. God is faithful. And when we come together, we strengthen that desire in our hearts. Notice what the writer says in Hebrews 9. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one in heaven. He entered heaven itself when he died, was buried and rose again. Now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again. The way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Then Christ would have to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as man is destined once to die, and after that the judgment, so Christ who was a man, had to die. And after that, the judgment. But now notice the difference. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. So Christ died, but he didn't just die a death of sin. He died a death for sin. Therefore, he was sacrificed once. Once. To take away the sins of many people. You say, well, why doesn't it say all people there? Why doesn't it say all people? I'm glad you asked that. Because not all people will receive Him as Savior. And He's not going to pay for sin when people don't bow the knee and accept Him as their Savior. This is not universalism, the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. This is salvation and redemption for sinners who need forgiveness and know that, and know the only way to get it is through Jesus. If they don't, it'll be appointed a man once to die, and after that they will be judged. But for those of us who believe Jesus, Christ was sacrificed to take away the sins of many people, but thank God He'll never do it again. He will appear a second time. You all hear that. He will. He appeared the first time to take away sin. He will appear a second time. He's not going to come back to die on another cross. Not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for Him. Now, I don't know about you. I've often thought about this. Would it not be wonderful to be taken away while you're in a church service? You know, people meet all different hours during the year, you know, during the day. Some, some have already met, some are in bed now, some haven't. But would it not be wonderful to be taken to heaven while we're worshiping God? Wouldn't it, you know, do you all ever think about this? I, I've often thought to myself, you know, especially when you're doing something you're not supposed to be. I, I want you to think about this because this is practical. When you're doing something you're not supposed to be, you ought to stop and think, what if Jesus returned right now? And he found me doing this right here. 
Would this be embarrassing? Or would it not? Because, folks, I promise you, one day, He is going to appear a second time. And He's coming for His own. Not to die, but to take His people home and to rule and to reign. Does that excite you? I got eight heads that say yeah. And I, I, I got one good grunt back there. Thank you. We know we're excited. We want and we desire to see Him. And we know that it will happen. The third advantage is that it provides encouragement and motivation for us to serve. Listen to what the text says. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now let me show you something. This is just a little teaching something. I can't help this. I have to do it. But look down in chapter 10. These are literary things, literary marks, where authors of Scripture, you know, they say something, and then they're going to develop it. And if you look at this, you'll see how this writer in this little passage right here is going to develop the Christian triad. What, what is the, the Christian triad? What are the three virtues that define Christianity to its highest peak? Go ahead. Faith. Now you'll get it. Love. Go ahead. And hope. Watch what he does here. I'm, I'm up in verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Have y'all ever read Hebrews chapter 11? Have you? Okay, what is that chapter? By faith, such and such did that. By faith, such and such. Okay, now let's look at the next one. Verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. In chapter 12. In that chapter, uh, he's going to develop that about Jesus being the founder and perfecter of our faith, our hope, this hope that is before us. Hope, hope, hope all the way down till he gets to the discipline section. So he's, getting, he's telling them what he's going to preach on here. Faith, hope, and now, are y'all ready for the last one? What was it? Let us spur, stir up one another, or spur on one another to love and good works. Now if you brought a hard copy Bible, turn to Hebrews 13 real quick, you'll see where I'm going in the rest of my series. In chapter 13, at the end of chapter 12 and chapter 13, he starts talking about love. Now, are, are y'all ready? You say, well, you've unloaded on us this morning. What am I supposed to walk away here with? From? Coming to church has advantages. It'll give you confidence and assurance. It'll help you. And you know what else? It'll, it'll push us to live what God wants us to live, to motivate us to love and good works. What are some of the loving good works in Hebrews 13, 12 and 13? Are y'all ready? Here it goes. I'm, I'm pulling out the two six shooters because there's about a dozen. I'm just going to fire off and then I'll share them as the series goes on. Number one, get along with each other. Look at verse, chapter 12, verse 14. Strive for peace with everyone. Live your Christian life peacefully. Don't be some hateful Christian is so ornery and contrary, nobody can get along with. Don't do that. And don't put a bumper sticker on the back of your church that says, follow me to Trinity and hog people off in the road and get in front of them in red lights and blowing the horn and throwing your hands out the window. I'm not kidding you. I've seen that before. I've seen that before. Whew. Strive for peace. Look at the second thing. Forgive. Have a life of Forgiveness. Yes, I'm going to preach on all these. The end of verse 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up in your heart. Do you have roots of bitterness? Something happened to you that just defiles everybody you're around? Don't, 
This is how we spur one another on. We tell people, listen, you need to forgive them. You need to live in peace. You need to learn to get through that problem that you had in life by God's grace. Look in verse 25. See that you do not refuse Him who is speaking. Don't ignore God. You know, when people just say, I'm going to live my life the way I want to. As a Christian, don't ignore God. We speak the truth in love, right? Not about you, it's about Him. What else? Acceptable worship. Uh, I'm over in verse 28. Let us offer to God acceptable worship. How do you get worship right? Well, we'll talk about that. Chapter 13, verse 2. Be hospitable. Don't be afraid to open your house and your arms to people. Verse 3, 13.3, care for people, especially those who are persecuted for the gospel. How many of us give to ministries like Voice of the Martyrs? Y'all ever read Voice of the Martyrs? It's haunting. They, they claim today that more believers, I don't want to share all this now, but I'll share this, more believers are persecuted today than have ever been. And what do we do for them? Rarely do we even remember to pray for our persecuted brethren. And this man says, remember them as if you were chained beside them. We need to be reminded of that. People are suffering for Jesus this morning. Look at verse 4. Honor marriage. Boy, we need that today, don't we? And our woke. I don't think they're woke. I think they're asleep. Woke. You need to wake up to reality. God created the male and female. See what you're going to get in this service? Getting marriage right. Look in verse 5. Keep your life free from the love of money. Getting your finances right. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Getting contentment right. I didn't say that. God said it. Y'all heard the story about the old man that was in the church. There was a, there's an old country church. This man was in it. He was so tight he owned a bank and he wouldn't give any money and the ceiling was falling in. Well, they kept trying to pass the plates and nobody give, nobody give. He always sat in the very back corner and sneak in after the church started and he'd, he'd leave during the offering come back. Well, finally, one Sunday, they packed the whole church out, and the man had to walk to the front. He got up all the way to the front in the corner, and they started praying. They started praying, Lord, please provide the finances for our roof. We need it desperately. All of a sudden, a piece of ceiling tile came out and hit the man in the head. Hit him right in the head. The man stood up and said, I'll give $1,000 to the roof fund. Somebody in the back said, hit him again, Lord. Keep our life free from the love of... We're going to give it all away. That's a whole sermon. Look at verse 9. Don't be led away by diverse and strange teachings. What are those strange teachings? For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Well, there's a lot of people who don't like to preach on grace. You know why? Because grace lets you be a rotten sinner. They like to bind you. Bind you. Mastering grace. Ooh, that sounds like a good one. I'm ready to preach it. And on and on I could go. My point is simply this. Faithfully attending worship and reading and studying God's Word and encouraging one another has great advantages. So, here's the invitation. Will you, right now, right, right now, even if you're watching online and you can't come to serve, that's fine, but will you commit to faithfully attending, and not just faithfully attending, but encouraging others to publicly assemble for worship in this coming year? Now, that, that's the question that I felt like God would have me ask you, and you before God have to give that answer. Will you faithfully commit to, number one, attend yourself faithfully, unless you just have to miss, 
And number two, will you at least find one other person, that's all we ask, is one other person or family that is not in church, don't steal them from somebody else's churches, let them stay. But find someone who is not attending a church, who's sitting at home watching the worthless NFL right now, the pregame show, and challenge their hearts to come and hear a message from God who created them in their image and loves them, has a plan and a purpose for their heart and their life. Start praying for them right now. And sometime throughout this year, start encouraging them to come. And I'm going to tell you why, folks. Because the author of Hebrews said, because the day is near. He is coming back. Father, thank you this morning for your word, for Jesus, for his blood, his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross for our sins that we can believe on Him as Savior and trust what He did on the cross for us, and that we can enter Your presence, directly into Your presence, and You hear our prayers because of what Jesus has done and because He's our great High Priest. Thank You, Father, for giving us Trinity Community Church with the people who are here this morning. We thank you for the churches throughout the NRV, throughout Christiansburg, Montgomery County, State of Virginia, the United States, and all across the world who are faithful to your word and faithful to each other. We pray you'll bless them this year. But as our personal challenge, Father, may we get back to public assembling, to encouraging one another and spurring one another on to love and good works. And may you give us grace as we love and speak to one another in a way that honors you. And we'll thank you for that. So we dedicate this new year to you. And we thank you for being our great God and Savior. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.